Well, welcome back to <laughs> What's That Laugh About? Whatever the heck this is. You know, if people could only hear what goes on before we go live. Yeah, and I'm I'm insane and then become sane. Yeah, exactly. Like when a camera will do Exactly, record. exactly. It'll do that. It'll do that. And we would we would get a, a gazillion a gazillion sponsors, you know, for yeah, this yeah, ship behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, you yeah, know, we're gonna get a gazillion in my own town. Right. <laughs> uh, we have some special guests today. I am excited Man, to have. Yeah, Clay and Mike on Mike from the Mammoth Community Water District um, in my hood. So thank you both for, for coming here, for coming down here today. And it's kind of cold down here, but I appreciate it. You coming down the hill and the road was open, which is the most important thing. Yes, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, let's just dive right in to the Mammoth Community Water District. Um, so let's talk about this winter. No. Dive right in. Water. You picked that up. That was good. I did. That was good. I didn't even understand what I said there for a second, but I want to talk about the snow okay. this winter. I'm not sure when this um, episode is going to air, but how did the snow in our 17 atmospheric rivers that came in affect the water district? I often wonder if you guys were overwhelmed um, with what happened. Yeah, I don't think uh, anybody that was in Mammoth wasn't overwhelmed, and uh, we we're certainly not excluded from that. Um, so there's been... Uh, a lot of snow removal efforts. Obviously, everybody's uh, trying to clear paths to gain access to facilities. Um, we're obviously happy to have the surface water. Uh, that's really where we get our uh, primary supply of water. When we can uh, utilize surface water, it's obviously a lot cheaper to produce, or maybe not obvious, but uh, we do have other sources of water, which include wells, but that requires uh, electricity to pump those uh, sources to the surface and then treat them and then pump them again to get them into the distribution system. So just from an electrical standpoint, cost, uh, surface water is uh, gravity fed. So we divert our surface water from Lake Mary uh, out of Mammoth Creek essentially, and that's all gravity going down into the community. So gravity works in our favor. It's uh, far less uh, intensive as far as cost to produce surface water. So from a snowpack perspective, having a good snowpack really does help us uh, produce and meet the needs of the community um, with our water supply. So we're happy to have it. Where do you store your water? It's a good question. It is a surface water. Obviously, you gotta just it's a surface it. of Lake Mary. No, but they got to treat it. So that is talk true. about uh, water sources. We talk about groundwater. That's water that's under the surface. And then we have surface water sources, which are basically lakes, streams, rivers, things like that. Uh, in the case of Mammoth, we're dealing with uh, diversion water or water rights are diversions off of Mammoth Creek, primarily coming from Lake Mary. So the, the storage really is the snowpack because the amount of water that we're able to actually capture in Lake Mary is a very, very small amount of water, which is roughly 600 acre feet. Um, so that's basically, if you had 600 acres, one foot deep, that's the amount of water. Uh, an acre foot is roughly 326,000 gallons of water. So not a lot of water being stored in uh, Mammoth, uh, excuse me, in Lake Mary itself. But what we're really relying upon is that snowpack to melt, and then we can divert that water when we're meeting uh, stream flows. So where we have you, to maintain certain stream flows in the in the creek. Where do you divert it at? So we have an intake structure in Lake Mary that's under the surface, and there's a pipe, uh, a large diameter pipe that uh, that basically conveys water from Lake Mary into uh, <clears throat> Lake Mary treatment plant. And okay, so I was thinking. Okay, Lake Mary, but Lake Mary has that waterfall that goes into Twin Lakes and that freezes. So how are they getting that water from Lake Mary into Twin Lakes? Because in the winter, it's frozen. Right. People actually ice climb that thing. Right. So there's a pipe in Lake Mary that... That's correct. That sidesteps all that. That's correct. And so we divert water 
from the lake, uh, and then uh, when the when the thaw happens, which is starting uh, when the warmer temperatures pick up, we have the April through June kind of runoff. Uh, we're able to divert some of that water, fill the lake back up. Um, and then when we're meeting stream flow requirements, we have to maintain certain, uh, we're not allowed to directly divert and influence the, the flows in Mammoth Creek unless the flows are above certain thresholds. And the reason for those are uh, to maintain a, a healthy fish habitat. And so that's part of our water rights. So every month, depending on the month, uh, in, the, in the warmer months, that stream flow requirement is higher than, say, in the wintertime. So right now, uh, 9.8 cubic feet per second is the requirement. We're currently running about 14 cubic feet per second, so we're allowed to directly divert water. So that allows us to use water uh, through the Lake Mary treatment plant and serve the community. So when you're talking about Mammoth Creek then, you're not talking about anything past Lake Mary. No, we're not, we're not diverting water past Lake Mary, but ultimately we do influence what's going into the creek because it's going down. Correct. Yeah, but okay, so does that water go then to the, to the other group? Uh, so yeah, so anything <laughs> downstream. <laughs> Sorry, uh, well, other group. Uh, so Los Angeles Department of Water Power has water rights. Yeah. Uh, they get uh, whatever's kind of remaining ends up in the Owens River. Okay. Uh, in, in it'll go into Crowley Lake and then end up in the Owens. All right. For some reason, I thought you know, because I know where you're located. I was thinking maybe the water flows all the way down into your plant down there, and but no, you no, diverted the, from the, Lake Mary. That's correct, and the plant is located up in the lakes basin. It is. Yes. Where? Uh, near the uh, pack station. Okay. Oh, behind the horses? Correct. Kind of behind. I didn't know that, and I've been living up there for a very long time. So um, the snow melt. So everybody's worried about the great thaw, that it's going to get really, really hot, and then things are going to melt very, very quickly, which if it happened on our property, I wouldn't be too upset. But I know the surrounding area, What's what happened if it just all just melts quickly? So fortunately, uh, a lot of the melt is, is related to uh, the energy that it takes to melt the snow. And so a lot of that comes from solar radiation, not just warmer temperatures, but actually how much uh, energy the, the snow is going to absorb from, from the sun. So as the days get longer, the melt will actually progress. Um, typically, we'll see a, uh, a melt in a runoff period of about 90 days that'll run from sometime in mid-April through uh, late into the summer. Uh, the peak of that flow will can range. It's typically between the second week of May through the second week of June. Uh, in bigger years like this one, it'll happen much later. Uh, 17, uh, 2017 is a good kind of comparator. Uh, that was a massive winter as well. And the peak runoff didn't happen until the 22nd of June. And so we didn't actually store, we were storing water and filling the lake over a longer period of time uh, to kind of help us mitigate any potential flooding around Lake Mary. But we really don't have much control over what happens beyond Lake Mary. Uh, pretty much once it starts melting, it's it's going. So I had a friend that worked for Southern California Edison, and he said that the flow rate, you can really tell when it picks up is when it stops freezing overnight. Yes, so consecutive nights of real freezing. It's hard uh, to get that. That's run. correct. Yeah. So I have a cool, So what is what exactly is your job with the district, and what is your job, Mike, with the district? I'll let you start with me since you haven't spoken yet. Uh, yeah, so I am the principal administrative analyst um, for the regula regulatory services division. So a lot of my job entails um, basically meeting our regulatory requirements, doing annual reports, kind of fielding some of that work. Um, and then I'm also involved in conservation efforts and um, just kind of public relations. So kind of getting word out there on ways to conserve water in the community, 
um, our rebate programs, and and kind of all along those kind of like low flush toilets and things like that. Yeah. So we okay. yeah we offer rebates for toilet replacements, uh, clothes washers, uh, dishwashers. Mm. If you're doing upgrades like that, um, you can fill out an application for through the district, and uh, we offer two hundred to four hundred dollar checks for rebates um, for appliances that are. Uh, water, water and energy efficient. Do you recommend appliances for people to get that are water and energy efficient? Yeah, we do have a list. Um, but you know, nowadays a lot of those appliances are going that way either way, and and some state requirements are pushing them that way. So a lot of those appliances are already out there in the stores and are probably being considered to be purchased no matter what. But um, we want to help out and make that push towards uh, energy, water efficient devices like that. So in a year like this, there's going to be a lot of people in Mammoth that think, oh, we don't have to conserve because we've had snow in our yard, you know, since whenever. So is that um, a misunderstanding? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I think that sometimes the misconception is we see a lot of snow and we see a lot of water and we feel that it's there for uh, our taking or uh, our use. Um, Amen. Preach it, brother. <laughs> uh, you know, but but, you know, where we do also get water, as Clay mentioned before, is our groundwater aquifers. And those take longer to recharge. Right. You know, once you start pulling that water from hundreds of feet below the surface, uh, it takes a while for those drops of water to get back down. How long does it take? You know, it's uh, interesting. Good question. Uh, in 17, we did see a pretty massive recharge. Uh, it happens over the course of months. Usually the spring runoff does contribute. And we'll see a, a kind of a rapid uptick. But we're in a kind of an interesting geology we have what's called a fractured rock basin so it's not like a bathtub type situation under the surface where it's just going to all melt and go in there a lot of it's leaving while it's coming in hmm. so even though it does come in and recharge it doesn't stay there all the time uh kind of you know indefinitely um so even though we do get a, a, a rapid recharge we do need longer recharge to kind of sustain that and uh kind of maintain those levels so I saw in other parts of the state of California, they're implementing programs to recharge the, the groundwater this year. Are they doing that up there as well, like special flooding in the different parts around? The not, not deliberately. That kind of just happens through natural causes. Um, we did do a feasibility study uh, back, I believe it was in 2017 or maybe 2018, to see if it was possible to use surface water to actually recharge groundwater sources. Uh, but it didn't pencil out for numerous reasons. Um, and But we actually looked at it. We actually worked with an engineering firm and, and looked into the potential for bigger years to actually divert some of that water, push it back into the wells, essentially. But it, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Is that because of the soil, the type of environment up there? Or? 
There was a number of factors. Uh, part of the reason is we are in a fractured rock aquifer, like I mentioned. So it's putting it into a place where it's going to go away. Right. doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, and then we also do, uh, we have dissimilar water quality types. So when you're dealing with surface water, you have low mineral content. When you're dealing with groundwater, you have a very high mineral content. If you push low mineral content water into a high mineral content area, you can actually start descaling and, and create problems within the aquifer itself or even the well casing or the formations that actually are used to convey that water to the surface. So there's a lot of varying reasons why it didn't work, uh, but there's um, it basically didn't pencil out as economically was the main reason. So how did you how did you guys get the measurements of the snow? Do you know how much snow we actually had? Um, and how did you figure that out? Uh, good question. Um, so that is done through uh, the uh, snow course surveys that are done. Um, LEDWP actually has a, uh, a snow pillow on Mammoth Pass, and that's where we take our primary information from. Uh, that really dictates kind of like what our water supply looks like from a surface water perspective. So that usually gets measured throughout the course of the winter, but the, the kind of the benchmark or the standard is what that is on April 1st. So everybody refers to the April 1 snowpack. Right. Uh, this year it was, it was about 245% of normal. So the, the way they measure it is in snow water equivalent, which is basically if you took that water and melted it, uh, how much water would that be in a column? Um, and so that right now is on April 1st measured about 104.7 inches, and the average is about 42.5. So much, much larger. 17 was, I believe, 92 inches of, of snow water equivalent. Or was it 18? Uh, anyways, it was uh, lower than where we are now. Snow, like how, how much a foot, a cubic foot of snow becomes in water? Uh, it's, I think a cubic foot is, uh, I believe, I know by weight, but no, I don't often. Right, now, is there a normal? Because our weather is so wonky right now. Is what's, What is normal as far as snowpack and water levels? Yeah, so the the normal for Mammoth Pass is that 42.5 inches. So that's normal. That's considered normal. Okay. That's a, a longer-term average, which obviously is going to get influenced over time if that number continues to go up or down. But they, they're kind of holding that number, that 42.5, um, is, is kind of the reference point that we use as, quote-unquote, normal. Okay. Um, does Horseshoe Lake really have a crack at the bottom of it? <laughs> I, Do you know that? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> okay. That's a question that comes up a lot. Um we're just wondering. What I do know is that uh, Horseshoe Lake will likely flood again like it did in 2017. Oh, yeah, it did, didn't it? It came right up to the road. Correct. Does it create problems with the mountain leaking gas, or does it stop leaking gas? Actually, I don't know the answer to that question. That's okay. That's a, ge that's a geology yeah. question. Do you have a geologist that works with you guys, or do you sort of work with the, uh, I don't know? We actually con contract uh, hydrogeologists for various projects. Okay. Um, and then we have engineers on staff that have some... Uh, geology uh, kind of um, training or, or expertise. So based on the history of like 2016-17 winter, how long do you think this snowpack is going to last? Good question. Uh, from a water supply perspective, I, I know that in 17 that we were able to fill the lake. We had it full uh, sometime after the peak runoff, so shortly after that, that June 22nd date that I gave. And then we had the lake full all the way through until the end of the summer of 2018. And so we were on surface water for well over a year from that snowpack alone. Um, obviously 18 did contribute, uh, but it's it was uh, not nearly as close um, as far as uh, snowpack. So in 17, uh, we had 88 uh, 
<clears throat> inches of snow water equivalent. And then the following year in 2018, we had only had 33, which was, you know, 77% of normal. So we had a massive year and then kind of a, a subpar year. But, you know, it's it lasted quite some time. So how did the equipment, now I, I've taken a tour. I used to work for the Mammoth Times and I did a story on the whole, the whole district. And I remember taking a tour back there. Um, and I remember whoever gave the tour was talking about how, you know, cell phones end up in those ponds in the back that you guys have and all sorts of things end up because people flush things down the toilet. I mean, how do, with all the snow and everything, how do, do you clear the snow off of those, the ponds that you have back there? And so that, they're not called ponds. What are they? Some of the wastewater treatment. Yes. Thank you. That right behind you. Right uh, behind so the office. Right now, the back 40 is pretty much covered in snow. Our wastewater treatment facilities are uh, accessible. We keep them accessible because we have to be operating and maintaining them. Uh, the snowpack doesn't really have an influence on what ends up down the drain simply because that's not really how it ends up going, you know, uh, downstream. And it, it ends up like we do have influences in the wastewater stream as a result of uh, infiltration and um, and um, inflows basically through uh, seeps and cracks or manhole covers and the pick holes and manholes and things like that. So we do see like right now we're producing roughly uh, 1.2 million gallons a day to distribute for drinking water and we're receiving about a million and a half. So, you know, 300 to 500,000 gallons of water every day is coming in that we didn't distribute. That's just what's coming in as a result of those inflows. This episode of This Crazy Life is also sponsored by Jaspin IT Consultants. Jaspin is trusted by financial firms, hospitals, and small businesses with over 30 years of experience, specializing in computer repair for PC and Mac, managed IT solutions, managed antivirus, servers, virtualization, networking, surveillance solutions, VoIP, phone, service, and digital signage. We are building a reputation for creating a positive return on investments for our clients. If you are serious about your business success, our team of professionals can get you there. Strategic thinking, personal attention, competitive prices, real-world results. Discover the Jaspin difference located at 249 North Main Street in Bishop, California, 760-872-2797 or on the web at www.jaspin.com. So since you said flushing things, I did. maybe you yes. should tell us because we were talking earlier, what things shouldn't go down the sink or down the toilet? Yeah, so one of the just big general messages is, you know, those aren't trash cans. We have trash cans for a reason, um, but to put the trash into those. So some of the big things are grease, fats, oils, um, you know, dairy products, salad dressing. Why dairy? Why Some of those. I understand grease. Yeah. I solidify and become solid. Yeah, and well, uh, a dairy product will do something similar. It, Ooh, it curdles. Don't you know curdling? Yeah, create some of those impasses and can can stick to the walls of of our systems and our our pipes. So those can create blockages. Um, so more or less, if if it you know doesn't feel like water, doesn't uh, smell like water, or taste like water, uh, put it in the trash. Keep those things out of our drains, and and it really helps our flow and our systems to move as they're supposed to. I think a lot of people have a a false sense about a garbage disposal, and it's uh, and it's not the Masking everything and well, maybe they should outlaw garbage disposals because I mean the garbage disposals people put food in there and right. you don't want that food in there. So what's the point of having a garbage disposal if the water districts don't even want food going into the pipes? Right. That would if you take out your garbage disposal, that would deter people from throwing 
Call your congressman. It is a hard sell, you know, like even family members, when I tell them, hey, you should be scraping your dishes off in the trash, they're like, why would I do that? I have a garbage disposal. Right. Yeah. But, you know, there's just an educational component there. And we we uh, we do uh, outreach and education through the district. Like one of the things that we do on a regular basis is uh, uh, working with the Living Wise program. We offer a sixth grade tour where the Mammoth uh, Middle School comes and they, we give them a tour of both water treatment and how we produce the water and then all the way down to the wastewater and how we receive it and how we treat it. And it's actually really good for the kids because they go home and they sell their parents on all this stuff. And it's pretty interesting to hear a lot of people come back later and just say, yeah, you know, our, our kids told us that we weren't supposed to do this and that's why they changed their habits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting uh, their parents to do it directly sometimes is uh, a more difficult because you're changing habits that are just, you know, hard to kind of change. Yeah, well, I started changing mine with the grease from a radio commercial that you always put together. Yeah, and I started changing mine about 10 years ago. I think it probably was when I had the tour because I would take my hairbrush hair and put it in the toilet. And I thought, and now I haven't done that in 10 years. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely becomes a big problem. We've noticed since you stopped. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so how does the district work with the LADWP since you guys are both all about water? Yeah, so the good question. So like I said, they maintain and operate the snow pillow that we get our information from. So there's a lot of data sharing. Uh, we also uh, mutually kind of uh, use information with regard to our stream flows. So we publish a lot of our information and distribute that with them. Um, so we kind of operate similar structures. Uh, they have uh, flow measuring stations that we use that information as part of our water rights and reporting and vice versa. So it's a, a collaborative effort of getting the information to each other so that we can you know, operate our facilities accordingly. And so there's that huge pond east of Sherwin east of Sherwin Road that is that and I, it's got a thing it's got like a mm -hmm. a chimney of water coming out of it and a lot of people go bird watching down there is that where the treated water goes that's correct that is Laurel Pond and that is our outflow structure that is where uh, basically the the termination of our wastewater treatment process uh, ends up and so there's no outflow from Laurel Pond it's just a, a terminal um, you know ephemeral ephemeral uh, pond and uh, we our, our treated wastewater ends up there. So if people are hiking around there and forget their water and they're really parched, should they or should they not drink that water? Uh, stay out of Laurel Pond, not drink out of Laurel Pond. <laughs> okay. um, it's a non-contact body of water, so you should not be swimming, should not be taking drinks or anything like that. Have you ever heard of people swimming in Laurel Pond and then getting sick? And uh, do you have signs everywhere that says, do not go in? There's posted signs. Um, so people should be staying out of it. No, I've not heard of people swimming in Laurel Ponds because I think most people can read. Well, I, okay, well, that's, most people can't rate her. Most, <laughs> that is really funny. So I've, I've questioned that. <laughs> Jason, I can't wait for your movie to come out. You know, that's going to, you know, that's just going to be the top of, so how did the two of you get involved in water district business? You want to go ahead? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm fairly new here. So, um, you know, I studied urban, <clears throat> urban and regional planning, planning, um, as a graduate student, at the University of Wisconsin. And my interest was always really been how our built environments relate to the environment and how we can impact those to better the world around us. And so I then studied water resources management, uh, knowing that freshwater management of water is going to be big and going into the future. Um, so using those two different kind of degrees and, and studies, 
I looked for an area where natural resources and built environment were coming up right to each other. And I came out to the Eastern Sierra about 10 years ago to work for the town of Mammoth Lakes, um, found myself in different government entities until I came over the water district, um, which was really deep down one of my interests for a really long time in working in this type of environment. You know, I think, did I interview for something? Because you, when I, when I said your name, I went, Mike Draper. I don't remember Mike Draper at the district, but I remembered your name from. I, I you know, I've been around in, in the politics in the Eastern Sierra for a little bit since Cummings. Yeah, I probably interviewed you. Sorry if I did anything like, you know. <laughs> and what about, what about, yeah, well, you know, I mean, being a newspaper reporter is very difficult in small towns. Yeah. Um, so hence was why I'm not a newspaper reporter anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did you get yourself involved with the water? Uh, a very different path. Uh, I moved uh, to <clears throat> Bishop in 2003. I came here, I was a photographer and uh, just kind of looking to to raise my family outside of the LA area. Um, my children were young at the time, so uh, it was a good opportunity to move. We moved up here and um, <clears throat> the water district was hiring uh, temporary workers for construction season. They do their construction, we do our construction during uh, the summer months for obvious reasons because you can't really dig when there's snow and ice on the ground. And uh, I kind of just did a leap of faith and um, said, hey, I, I need a gig and uh, applied for a position doing construction and uh, basically uh, putting in new uh, water laterals and water mains. And I was extremely green. I didn't know anything about it. and um, But just worked really hard and kind of just figured things out and made my way, asked a million questions. And then I got hired on full-time in 2004 uh, in the line maintenance field uh, doing leak repair and TV inspection of sewers. And I worked in maintenance for about two years before I made the transfer into operations. Um, and so I've been doing operations of water and wastewater treatment uh, at various levels uh, since about 2006. And then about 2016, uh, I I basically promoted into management, and so now I'm the superintendent of operations. And so, how would locals know, like, if their if their water pipes that go from the house to the main to the line on the street to wherever it goes to, how would they know if it's cracked or leaking or anything like that? Are we talking about uh, drinking water or wastewater? Both. So, good question. A lot of times uh, on the surface water side, if it's a leak between their meter and their house, we actually have. Uh, uh, advanced metering infrastructure where we can actually do leak detection just by seeing what their meter is doing. And we, we actually actually, uh, we have programs that basically let us know and flag, hey, there's a leak. And then we'll notify the customer that, hey, you have a leak on your property. Or if like the bill we get is twice as high as it normally is. Generally speaking, we can catch it before that happens. Okay. Um, and that's one of the benefits of having this advanced metering infrastructure is the ability to kind of flag those things. We can even see things like a leaky toilet, um, you know, or, or a more, uh, you know, pronounced leak that's. Does the district have an outreach program that if a toilet stops working, somebody will come out for free and fix it? So that's really on the customer <laughs> side. Uh, so no, we will let them know if they do have an issue with a leak, uh, we can let them know that they need to investigate, um, or if they need their water shut off, we're, we're happy to come out and do that to help facilitate. You know. Well, I'm going to have to fix our toilet because it doesn't flush all the time. So no. No, it's a. I'm on YouTube going. Okay, I toilet not flushing right, and then it gives you all these things you can try to fix to do it. And I asked my husband. He goes, "Well, you do it." So I'm doing it. There you go. Yeah, we learned all about the innards of our toilet. We got a minute left. We've got a minute left. Wow. So anything else you want the world to know about the Mammoth Community Water District? Um, 
just that, you know, we've uh, managed to maintain our operations through all of this. Um, it has been impactful as with regard to the snowfall that we've had this year. We're grateful to have the water supply, um, but we took uh, a lot of pride in, in maintaining our service and uh, we're happy to accommodate our customers. Yeah, thank you for not shutting down yeah. <laughs> and freezing, freezing the water out. Really appreciate it very much. I, and I didn't even get to ask you about the relationship with ORMAT. And the geothermal stuff, that might have to be another thing because I know that there's history there with the geothermal pulling the stuff out and putting the stuff back in and how it uh, relates to the Mammoth Community Water District. So that might have to be for another time. He's looking at me like, don't ask me that question. <laughs> we're working collaboratively and we're, we're monitoring uh, together. So okay. That's, that's good. Good answer. Awesome. All right, Jason. Well, thanks for being a part of whatever the heck this is. Yes. And I'm Stacey Powell's. And these are our guests from Mammoth Community Water District. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you.